listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Coming up, gift card warnings for last-minute Christmas purchases. We take a look back at the year that was in business and finance, and a look ahead to the opportunities for 2024. It is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Friday, the 22nd of December, 2023. Later, we'll take a look at what you need to know if you're buying a last-minute gift card for Christmas because you need to read the fine print. But first... Now, Market Day on the SBS On The Money podcast. The Australian share market, which did finish flat. The S&P ASX 200 down just 2.5 points, 7,501. And it happens as traders take a break for Christmas. The market now closed until Wednesday. So I thought now would be a good time to take a look back at the year that was and a look ahead to the opportunities for 2024. For that, I spoke in detail with Kyle Rodder. He is a senior financial market analyst at Capital.com. And I first asked him what he thinks is the top business story for 2023. I think the thing that rocked corporate Australia the most was probably the drama surrounding Qantas. Obviously, a few years of mega profits, but also uh, incredible dissatisfaction amongst customers and the broader community, I think really brought to a head um, some of the issues that we're seeing more broadly across the globe in terms of stakeholder capitalism and balancing the demands of shareholders and pure profit with the, issue, the uh, interests of other stakeholders like your consumer, uh, but also the broader community and political environment as well. So the fact that we effectively saw a, a complete overhaul of the board, obviously we saw uh, uh, Alan Joyce um, kind of leave in ignominy uh, effectively. I think that was probably um, the biggest Lack, for lack of a better word, uh, scandalous development in, in the business community and one that really shows the sort of the, the, the signs of the times, I guess you could say, in, in the way uh, business operates within, within the broader economy. I guess when it comes to the markets generally, the key story is that of interest rates and inflation, not just locally but around the world. And now it does look like inflation globally is coming down pretty fast. So the question is, those those inflation rates of inflation, uh, the, the interest rates, are they likely to come down as fast as they went up, not just around the world, but in Australia too? Well, that's the way the markets are positioning, certainly. And I think it is fair to say, obviously, inflation has come down significantly. Um, I think the stage that we're in the cycle now is this, uh, what's called the, the last mile problem, is that you get sort of 90% of the way and things come down pretty quickly. But that last 10% of the journey, um, sorry, the trip from, say, 3% inflation to 2% inflation can take some time. And the question is, well, uh, whether that happens, and if it does happen, what's driving it? Is it recession, which would be uh, a, an issue in and of itself. But I think it's fair to say that where we sit right now going into the new year, we can say pretty confidently that global interest rates have peaked and that they will come down at some point next year. Uh, again, the question is all about how quickly that happens to be and also, again, what's driving that. When you mentioned recession, isn't the interesting thing that at the beginning of the year, there was talk of the US potentially entering recession, right? And that China would be a really big driver in the economy. And now what we've seen is a flip. I don't think we are seeing people talking about the US now entering a recession, but what we are seeing is China um, uh, reopening a lot slower than what was anticipated. So how do you see China's economy tracking? 
This is another great question. I think it's probably in the top three issues that investors are having to, to grapple with at the start of 2024 is what's happening in China and not only that, why is it happening too? Uh, so if you look at just say valuations across Chinese markets, they're actually incredibly attractive by historical standards. But we haven't seen yet investors really jumping into the market yet and um, taking advantage of what is looking like a very technically oversold uh, market, uh, a market that is fundamentally uh, undervalued and then also, um, you know, heavily unloved. So sentiment is really, really bad as well. The big risk is that what we're seeing here in China is something deeply structural. Uh, the dreaded balance sheet recession, which you know many investors have drawn comparisons to Japan at the end of the 80s and early 90s, which means this could be a protracted period of kind of um, uh, economic deflation as well as asset price depreciation. There's also the issue too of geopolitics and whether what we're seeing now is investors taking into consideration country risk when it comes to China. I don't want to put my money there because the geopolitics geopolitics are too unstable and the political environment uh, is too unstable to protect my capital. So again, one of the big things that investors are going to have to grapple with, but there is the possibility that this is a, a longer term structural issue rather than one pertaining just to reopenings and economic cycles. What do you make about the moves on the Australian share market? If we were to do this interview, say, seven or eight weeks ago, I'd be asking you, are you disappointed with the market ending in the red for the year? But since November, the share market's up 11%. Does the, the rally that we've seen, particularly towards the end of the year, surprise you? Not surprise me in terms of the causes are fairly clear and understandable. Rates coming down effectively puts downward pressure on bond yields and that boosts equity valuations. And that was always a possibility. Um, and, you know, arguably with growth slowing um, and uh, if, if you did sit where I did, which was expecting that global growth would slow, a sort of necessary byproduct of that. The issue here now for us, though, especially compared to uh, markets across the rest of the world, is what's going to be that kind of driver of further upside from here. It looks like we might finish the year up about 7%, which historically speaking is roughly in line with the kind of, I guess, uh, nominal returns that you would expect from the ASX 200. But if we see a weaker China next year, iron ore miners start to come into question. The domestic economy is expected to come down, uh, slow down a little bit too. What does that mean for the banks? Maybe we're still due for a level of outperformance compared to our international peers. But Nevertheless, despite some of the doom and gloom throughout the year and by virtue of this real pivot in markets over the last few weeks, equities have had a decent year and, and, and that's a great thing for investors. Um, it's been pretty quiet on the M&A side of things for most of the year, but it seems to be hotting up with a few coming up towards the back end of the year. Um, do you, what do you think proved to be the most pivotal? Uh, in terms of deal making, I mean, from a broader trend perspective, I think it was the fact that we saw uh, a whole community uh, in the M&A having to really scratch their head about where an appropriate valuation would be post 0% interest rates and, uh, you know, that sort of ZERP world that prevailed and facilitated, you know, deal making for the last sort of 10 to 15 years into arguably companies that, uh, you know, were probably not very viable. So um, we saw that kind of uh, trend of, well, a few deals getting across the line, I should say, at the at the end of end of the year in, in, in December. Um, that chemist warehouse deal was was a, a, a groundbreaking one and probably the biggest thing to happen uh, on the ASX for, for several years. And, you know, it fills you with confidence, especially with a lot of companies looking to potentially be taken off the market by private equity or, or what have you, that maybe there's still some opportunities for new listings and new, new opportunities for investment. 
investors out there. Um, but overall, uh, in the grand scheme of things, it, it did speak of that kind of higher interest rate environment, uncertainty of uh, you know where interest rates would be in the future. Um, and it remains to be seen whether we'll start to see a recovery if, if we do see a sort of a re-anchoring of interest rates uh, higher than where they were pre-pandemic. Kyle, what was interesting to see over the past uh, 12 months as well were, were all these leadership changes. We, as you mentioned earlier, Alan Joyce at Qantas left. Um, the, the Governor of the Reserve Bank, Philip Lowe, also replaced uh, the CEO of, uh, of Optus um, going as well. Um, what do you think has been most significant? You mentioned Qantas earlier, but, but what do you think are the overarching themes I think it's just the incredible scrutiny, especially with, you know, sounds a little bit cliche, but it, I think it is the truth. 24-hour news cycle, um, you know, the echo chambers that can be created with social media, a very unsympathetic uh, community when it comes to uh, corporate issues, corporate mistakes, uh, a greater accountability for boards at a leadership level. And again, I think it's a, a theme that we've seen uh, overseas and becoming more prevalent here too, is a move away from sort of old-fashioned uh, Welchian shareholder uh, capitalism to one that's concerning, uh, that is focusing much more on sort of stakeholder issues, stakeholder capitalism, which doesn't just look at profits, but also looks at a business's social mandate, their role in uh, economic and social utility, um, and all sort of other issues, political, uh, environmental, and otherwise, which uh, businesses and boards uh, are having to take um, greater uh, consideration of, uh, but also have greater scrutiny around through just because of you know the nature of, of, of media and, and, and information technology. So it, it means that business leaders are now on a, on a real tightrope. Um, governance is more important than ever. And one would imagine considering that you know um, uncertainty and mistakes are just the way of, well, the markets really, that we'll see more of these kind of issues and fallouts. Um, maybe a reaction eventually once we feel a bit more sympathetic to our business leaders, but right now the community holds them to a very high standard and perhaps a higher standard than, than ever before in history. And to finish off, I'd love for you to look into your crystal ball and um, you know go through what you think are the investment opportunities for 2024. Well, I can talk to, obviously, the, the big themes, and I think the ones that are going to be most pertinent is, like you said before, the interest rate situation, the inflation situation. How quickly does that come down and whether the rate cuts that are expected in the market, uh, well, actually uh, get acted upon. There's also the matter of China um, and, again, what's happening in China's economy. It's the, the, the China question, as I keep phrasing it, um, but it remains unanswered and it's very important for global growth as, as well as asset allocation. Uh, there's also the issue of geopolitics, which we don't speak enough about, but there's uh, certainly, I think, uh, another uh, various uh, hot points across the world which could result in greater conflict, greater deglobalization, greater supply shocks, uh, and uh, markets that, um, well, perhaps are much more volatile, much more difficult to invest in. And let's not forget, last but not least, it's a US election year as well, uh, and those sorts of things tend to be not great uh, for, for our uh, asset returns leading into uh, such an event. And we could have a Biden and Trump. Uh, round two, uh, which would mean that uh, there is very, very vast differences in the potential outcomes and impacts for markets, depending on who would win the presidency. So, of course, there's going to be all sorts of other issues that arise along the way. But those are things I think the investors uh, investors are going to have to tackle and the key uncertainties when it comes to trying to allocate capital in, in increasingly complex markets. That is Kyle Rodder there from Capital.com. From the markets, let's go to gift cards because with just two days left to get your Christmas shopping done, gift cards seem to be a quick and popular option with a rate city survey of over 1,000 people finding almost one in four adults bought a card as a Christmas present last year. 
but it pays to check the fine print. So with the details, I spoke with Sally Tyndall from Rate City. If you're going to be reaching for a gift card this Christmas, uh, yes, it's a convenient present to buy, but spend at least two minutes checking the fine print to make sure that you or the person you're giving it to doesn't get caught out. Things like high fees on purchase, uh, they typically come with Visa or MasterCard cards where you're giving the gift of cash, uh, can come with fees of over $5 for a $100 gift card. We even found one that was almost $10 worth of fees just for a $100 gift card. That's almost 10% of the price of the present. It's also really important to check the expiry. The government introduced tough rules around gift cards in 2019. It really helped clean up the gift card market. This includes a mandatory minimum three-year expiry on every single gift card across the country. There's only a few exceptions there. So it's important to check that your gift card doesn't expire within three years, but you can also find a range of stores offering unlimited expiry, which means the person you're giving it to doesn't have to worry about it going out of date. And for those that do receive one, what do they need to know? If you get a gift card, first of all, keep it in a safe place because if you lose it, that money is typically gone. Um, Understand when the expiry is and it's a good idea to diarise it so you know if it's coming up. If you've got an expired card, still try your luck. Go into the sort store, see if they'll honour it. And then finally, if you have less than $10 left on the gift card, Ask the store to see if they'll give it back to you in change. There is at least one store out there that's willing to do it. It's always worth the question. If the answer is no, think about paying it backwards. That is, turn around to the person behind you in the queue, give them the $5 or the $2 left on the card. Sometimes it can be better than going all the way through the store, buying something for $50 just because you've got $5 left on your card. That is Sally Tyndall there from Rate City. This is the last podcast for the year. The SBS on the Money podcast will be back very early in January 2024. I'll see you then. This SBS on the Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. Listener.